Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com i mean no one plans to get sick and yet here we are my name is matthew zachary a quarter century ago i was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer for more than 15 years i've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare and i'm just getting warmed up so let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what we're all out of patience hey that's the name of the show all right friends welcome back to the show we got a big one today the queen badass of all queen badasses and marie mercurio Patient research partner, freelance consultant, writer, speaker. Words don't do her justice. She is just this fierce advocate. Her mom was diagnosed when she was a teenager. Her mom relapsed when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then her dad got cancer. Unfortunately, she lost both of them. But she went nuclear on pretty much the entire system. She lives and breathes in the take-no-prisoners, no-bullshit world of actually getting industry to move the needle on things that matter. Prepare yourself for some well-deserved F-bombs from the one and only Anne-Marie Mercurio. Enjoy the show. Fun fact, I became Signal right before this fucking pandemic. That's a great way to open the show. (laughs) Anne-Marie Mercurio, out of patience, welcome to the studio. So your pandemic present was singlehood. Singlehood was literally like six months before. Then I had to have the reconstructive surgery redone in November. I get cleared by the plastics team February of 2020. You're good to go. And the whole fucking world shut down. That's my. This is like memento because we're starting in the future. But there's so much before all this started. (laughs) But uh, I think we've been circling each other in ships of the night for a long time now. You have an incredibly storied LinkedIn at this point now. It just goes way back. And you're volunteering for everyone. I am on a lot of boards. Some of them are volunteer spots and some of them are paid for spots. Good. Pay your fucking patients. Yeah, yeah. That's the flip side of I feel like I earned my way into paying roles by proving my ability and proving my value along the way. So it's all merit we never asked to have, right? Right. I didn't ask for these fucking skills. That's exactly right. The skills you never wanted to have, but when you needed them, you really needed to know that they were there and you were able to use them. Now there's jumping into the shit happens rabbit hole. And then there's Anne-Marie Mercurio jumping into the shit happens rabbit hole story because you're sick. Your mom's sick. Your dad's sick at the same time. Yeah. 
Not that this ever gets ever anything bad to happen, but at the same fucking time, yeah. where were you in your life when this happened? Yeah, I was in a shitty marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the very best part of that was that my kids were both in college. So, so grown. Grown. Weren't dealing with pediatric. Uh, no, okay. I did. That was the only part of this that, that was easy for me. I didn't have to concern myself with, and now what about the kids? I could focus on the problems that I had to deal with with my own treatment. And then midway through chemo to find out my dad had a tumor on on his lung that had to be surgically removed. Actually, my mother insisted that we all go see them the day after Christmas. And I had chemo scheduled that day. And I remember sitting in the chemo. Jingle bells. Yeah, I remember sitting in the chemo chair and chemo was delayed for a, a million and one reasons. And I know what they all were. But at the time, all I remember thinking was, why is she doing this to me? She knows what it feels like. She went through this already like right. 25 years prior. Why is she insisting I go there? And then at some point in the chemo chair, I thought to myself, I know she's going to tell us something. I immediately Wait, did went, you have the famous last words moment? What could be worse? No, in my mind, I'm like, it's going to be something great. We're all going to go on a family trip. Oh, gonna, and I get to the house and my siblings are all there. Their significant others are all there. I walk in. She sits me down, puts a can of ginger ale in front of me. And all of a sudden, the tone got very dark in the room. And it, it was her trying to get my father to open up to share that he had to have surgery right after the new year. Was he a closed off individual? He was the patriarch of the, right. you know, the Italian family, right, the right, Italian-American right. family, protecting everyone. Vulnerability, not a strong suit. That's correct. Okay. That would be 100% correct. His role was always to take care of others. When he went into the hospital to have this surgery, which got canceled the night before the surgery. Wow. And it wasn't even the surgeon that called. It was someone from the surgeon's office, and I went there to see him the night before because I figured I, I'm not going to see him before he goes into the operating room the next So I'm sitting at the table with him. My mother answers the phone, and she hands it to him. I'm watching him, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. He hangs the phone up. I said, what was that? And he said, they're doing something tomorrow, but it's not the surgery. He was supposed to have one or two lobes of his lung removed. And so were you like upset he just accepted that? I was fucking furious. Yeah. Like he just listened furious. to what the system said? Furious. Don't even talk back. Don't ask a question. Furious. And I said, who was it? I don't know. Somebody from the office. Now, my dad was an attorney. You know, there was an integrity there. If someone asked him to do something and it wasn't his area of expertise, he would be the first one to say, I'm not capable of doing this. If you want me involved, I need to bring on someone that's better. And I think he believed that the physicians that were caring for him were going to do the same thing. And it was clear that they weren't. So the following day, now we're all in the hospital. I'm not supposed to even be in the hospital because I'm on chemo and they wanted me kind of in a bubble. And we all know hospitals are really germy places. The surgeons come out after they did a bronchoscopy instead, which to me was, we already booked the OR. The procedure's already on the books. We may as well throw them in there for something. So I'm already getting all amped up over this. Right. When I got up to my father's room, there's somebody in the bed next to him. And of course, my father is telling the guy, it's my daughter, breast cancer. She's on chemo now. And the guy is looking at me. He's like, you're on chemo right now. I'm like, 
well, not obviously not right now. There's nothing sticking in my arm, <laughs> but yes, I'm midway through a course of chemo. And then he says to my dad, who are your doctors? And my father looks up and said, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure she fired them all. Yeah. What pissed you off more, your own diagnosis or dealing with your father's complacency and giving him some moxie? So I was more privileged that he trusted me enough to know I don't need to be on this because I know she is and she's a lunatic. So <laughs> so that to me was like, you know what? He's giving me a vote of confidence and he can continue being the patriarch of the family and know that like I have his back. Right. Because when I was diagnosed, which was probably six months before this shit all started to unfold for him. This shit being... The lung cancer yeah. diagnosis. My mom and dad were in the room with me when the press surgeon came in and said, we found cancer. They were sitting right beside me and I wanted to be alone in there. Right. I wanted to be like, let me have my moment. I don't need to have anybody seeing me fall apart. I didn't want to do that to them. But now the shoe is on the other foot with my dad and I had already spent all this time doing my own research for myself. I'm like, all right, well, you're equipped to do this now to facilitate him. But he had so many other problems. The reason why that surgery got canceled Nobody bothered to look at the records to realize he had just turned 70. So hospital error. Yeah. Complete screw up. Because he looked so good, and he did. He looked like he was about freaking 55 was years old. Is it all old. the olive oil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Extra virgin olive oil from Sicily, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, he had a full head of hair, not yeah. a gray hair on his head. So they're looking, thinking, and and- you know, note to uh, hospital staff, how did it fall through so many hands? They needed to do a stress test right. before they could put him under anesthesia. So this is what caused- But because he looked young. Because he looked young. And how many hands did that go through before they right. realized, holy shit, this guy turned 76 months ago. We yeah. can't put him on the operating Ridiculous. table for this. Ridiculous. Yeah. So you went nuclear for your dad. Yeah. And did that make you even more nuclear for yourself or you were like sub-nuclear for yourself because he was your priority? At that point, he was completely my priority. It was like, fortunately, my treatment plan was already in place and I was well into it. So I basically just like, I don't need to kind of do anything to worry about myself just now. And I can just deal with his health problems. And it was one surgery after another because- What was your stage? Breast cancer? Okay. So this is the way the oncologist explained it to me back in the day. It's lobular. Okay. So when I started questioning OncoDX testing- Right. Now, this is 2006, and I think that test was relatively new. That's a throwback term, right? Onco-DX. Onco, yes, yeah. because Mamaprint now and all the other. Yeah. But in any event, I remember going in there and saying, well, what about this test? Thinking if he doesn't know what this test is, he's fired. Right. But he did. He said, look, we can do the test, but we don't know if it works for somebody that was diagnosed with lobular breast cancer. And he went through all the schools of thought. You know, there's a whole bunch of little tiny tumors you know, some doctors seem to think you should take the, the size of the largest tumor and that's where you stage it, right. which would make you like a one whatever B, C. Other doctors feel like you need to add up the sizes of all of them. He goes, if I do that, you're at stage three. It's like fridge magnet bingo. Yeah. So now I'm sitting there going, well, for fuck's sake, all of the research that I did, I can literally throw out the window because I'm reading information based on circumstances that don't apply to me. Well, it's like two docs in a room is nine opinions. Yeah. I wanted to specifically focus on that diagnosis because from a, the perspective of having dealt with your mom in the past, 
you were a sandwich generation caregiver as a trendsetter in yeah. the 90s. Yeah. What was that like? That was kind of awful because when my mom was diagnosed, my kids were very, very little. And again, very germy. So, <laughs> as we're she, supposed to be when we're little kids, pre Purell pandemic. Co correct. And I could not bring them anywhere near her. Mm -hmm. So, it was a lot of phone calls because she, the chemo just completely wiped her out. Sure. She was in and out of the hospital. Well, that's old school chemo way and, back then. Uh, yes, it is. Old school chemo where the nurse would walk in with a fistful of colorful vials, is yep. the way she would describe it. Mm -hmm. There was a purple one, a red one. And she said red. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's adriamycin. Yep. Red uh, devil. Yes. Yes. And no IV drip. It was just. Got pushed in, right? One after the other. Yep. So her chemo session, my chemo session, three drugs, along with whatever they did pre and post, I was in the chair for three hours. Her chemo, which was a massive amount of drugs, in and out in 10 minutes. So. What's the over-under? <laughs> That's yeah. a strange betting odds. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, I was concerned about her and I wanted to know. So I guess I was doing this even as a very young woman with babies home. I remember going to the public library to get the books. what? <laughs> wait, wait, what was a what? <laughs> That's exactly right. Where you had Can... to take the little library card out of your wallet. This and... episode brought to you by the Dewey Decimal System in exactly... 1982. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So she was diagnosed in the very late 80s and... I remember leaving my kids home with one of my friends so that I could go to the local library to get information. Right. And I think there was one book in the library that wasn't one of those sappy, not to put a damper on a sappy story, but I wanted information. So I think that fire was inside of me from a very long time ago. So. Yeah, you entered the shit happened store and that seed was germinating until it really needed to go nuclear. All right, we'll be right back with Anne-Marie Mercurio. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
we're back with Anne-Marie Recuri, and I don't even know where to start, but I think, without igniting the full powder keg, we can agree on some of the stuff you're working on today, which is the proverbial how to be your own advocate. You're either born with chutzpah or you're not. Is it possible that if you're not, you can develop it like you just go nuclear yourself? Or if you're not sort of congenitally chutzpahed from birth, what can be done in those moments from the people who are already through the grist mill to help you? So I do think that as time has gone on, I've gotten far braver in speaking my mind and making sure that You know, if I have a problem with the way something is going or I have a question and it's not being satisfactorily responded to, I am going to open my mouth. You know, when we were talking about my dad, that wasn't his style. But it's not that it wasn't his style to assert himself. He was too trusting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that comes from, that I was just raised to be skeptical of everything. It's Suffolk County. But I grew up in Queens. Even better. (laughs) Even better. If you're incapable of questioning what's going on, you need to do the phone a friend and say, let me figure out which one of these people is going to be able to either come with me or be on a telehealth visit because of the world that we're living in at the moment. But the bottom line is, if you're not capable, you need to have someone by your side that is capable because everyone deserves to have as much information as they need to make the best decisions for them. Acute healthcare is a supply-only store. It doesn't solicit customers. And then you get sucked into that store as a shopper. A, you don't know how much things cost. You don't know what things to buy in the first place. And you're dependent on a system you never studied to tell you what your options are. Is there really a phone a friend? There needs to be somebody that was on the path ahead of you. That you can tap into. Someone who's checked out already. Yeah. Or they're four aisles ahead of you. They've already, you know, gone through those first couple of aisles. They know, all right, aisle two, not so much. Aisle three, there's a couple of things. (laughs) And those are the people that you have to kind of look toward. Listen, I still get phone calls all the time. The phone call always starts with, I hate to ask you this, but, Mm -hmm. and that's my cue to say, someone just got diagnosed with breast cancer. What's going on? You want me to talk to somebody? You want me to listen? You You know, as people stepped out of the shadows and were willing to talk about the fact that they've received some sort of a diagnosis and treatment, you know, unlike back in the days when breast cancer patients would be put to sleep and wake up not knowing if they had a breast or not. Right. So we're well beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, everybody knows somebody. So even if it's not within your circle, if there's somebody you trust that can put you in touch with, I've spoken to people that were relative strangers to me right. to just try to help them parse out the questions that they should be asking. We're always told, ask good questions. As if you know what what constitutes a good (laughs) Good question question when the top of your head just blew off. So what really upset me back then is I was maybe seven or eight years out when the Livestrong Manifesto showed up. And one of their opening lines was, we kick in the moment you're diagnosed. Fuck that. Nothing kicks in the moment you're diagnosed. I've been saying this for 15 years. I know they meant well. But at the same time, Charlie Brown's teacher kicks in the moment you're diagnosed. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I just keep going back to the poor schmuck in the store 
that doesn't know who's been in the store before them. And they're kind of just like dialing for dollars to hope they find something. And there's no institutional system in place that gives that American citizen the right to access a navigator. Agreed. That's still lacking in so many places because without getting into names or places or whatever, I know that I used to volunteer and I would speak to post-surgical patients. So to me, that's already too late. These women made their decision as to what they were going to do. Who got them to that point? Who got them to that stage? And the navigators and doing it as a representative of the hospital, I couldn't speak freely to anyone. I had to be carrying the message of the medical institution, mm-hmm. which with an agenda, which is not necessarily serving the needs of the patients. Mastectomy in New York State, insurance companies automatic forty eight hours in the hospital. Institutions started with you know these outpatient. 23 hours and 59 minutes and out the door. And they were doing that. And I said, I can't say that. And I was told, you can't tell them that there's an option for them to stay if they feel that they can't go home. And I remember getting into an argument saying, well, like, what if somebody lives alone? Right. And they're going home with four drains and bound and they can't move and- All to save a buck. And that's the real dark web dirt that goes on in health systems. Yeah. I mean, I understand the longer you're in a hospital, the more you could pick up an infection. But listen, I know how I felt. 24 hours? No. Maybe by like 38 hours, I would have been ready to go home. But that was just as much time as I needed. And I do know that back then, and I don't know that it's changed, the insurance companies are not allowed to restrict you to less than 48 hours. And I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. Because if somebody starts crying, you tell me I have to get a social worker in there and the social worker is going to talk the person out of, what are you doing for the person though? If there's not a visiting nurse going there and who's staying with the person at night, like my mind was going right to we need to care for this person that's in this bed that's not only just had a debilitating diagnosis, they're likely scared, and now they're coming out of a really devastating surgery. And I understand in the course of like cancer surgeries, mastectomy is quote unquote probably one of the easier ones, but there's a whole lot of shit that goes on with that. And that also sort of unravels a layer below the layer of if there is a navigator or a clinical care coordinator, they're under the agenda of the health system. And to your point, as much as they have a moral interest, an ethical interest, because that's Hippocrates, to give you, the patient, the information you need to make your own decisions, you're at the mercy of that system. And that's not good for anyone. 100% not. Yeah. Where is the patient in all of this? I mean, right. I don't even want to go down that path. Because that's another show. That's another like whole. That's a Dewey s- Decimal System. <laughs> yes, it is. But the bottom line is there's a spectrum here from young to old to who's got little kids, who's got grown kids. Employer-based care. Yes. You know, Medicare. Yes. Very different. Yes. So who's the customer here? <laughs> and uh, And us. it's like, that's exactly right. And I was getting... All sorts of pissed off. They're like, you know, well, we're not paying the bill. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not paying for it. My health insurance is costing me in excess of eleven or twelve hundred dollars a month for a single. So that's me. 
only me. Yeah, there's so many layers of layers. Like, so you get in the shit happens store, right? You don't know how much things cost. You don't know where to buy the things and you're not the one that's buying them and you're not the customer. Yeah. And yet you're the customer of the shit happens store. Yeah. This is yeah. healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Not okay. Yeah. No, it's not okay. not okay. It's really not okay. Do you have any say or thoughts on the, I mean, concierge is kind of a bad word these days because clearly I think it's a telltale sign that this expatriation into concierge is what unfortunately needs to have to happen to get away from it. And it just makes the haves and have nots even more self-evident, but it's cause and effect, right? This idea of the board certified patient advocate, I think is a fantastic idea. It's regrettably necessary and it'll never be a covered benefit because then you're still under the umbrella of the agenda. Well, they're paying the bill. Yes. You know, it doesn't matter that you've been paying into health insurance for however long, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're paying the bill and they are not going to pay for that. Right. The shame of it is at the end of the day, if you add up the number of tests that I wouldn't be asking for or pushing for right. and having the provider fight for on my behalf, maybe if there was a little bit more guidance, everyone should get as much information as they can. But as far as like OncoDX, which I'm dating myself, Mammoprint, any kind of genomic testing, I believe that that for research purposes is crucial. However, in some cases, it's not going to guide chemotherapy decisions because it's going to be clear. Like somebody recently, there were lymph nodes involved and the person was waiting for the results of the genomic test to come back. And I'm just was kind of holding her hand through it, knowing that honey, you could come back with the lowest possible score. You're telling me it was in six lymph nodes. There is no way that there's there's, no oncologist is going to tell you to forego chemo because I don't know that the research is there yet. So I want to end on an optimistic note, which is difficult for me. (laughs) Maybe not so much you. I read your blogs and everything. Nobody convinced the system that the patient is the end customer, because if it was, they would account for our voting with wallets, which is not something we can do. But this idea that the patient voice, you know, telling our stories, but being influential pains in the asses, professional pains in the asses, do you have any success stories where that has actually funneled up to health economic, whoa, this will save us money? So- I will tell you that when my mom was in the hospital, which was shortly before she died, I made a fuss on Twitter and tagged the hospital system because I had a few too many minutes sitting in a parking lot waiting for Home Depot to come and drop the delivery in my the trunk of my car. Always the best meditation point. And, you know, this doctor called to give me information and she kept referring to my mother as the patient, oh, the God. patient, the patient. And I... Five times I must have stopped her. And I said, the patient has a name. In this case, it's my mother. Please refer to her as either Marianne or you can say your mom or stop saying the patient. It's very upsetting to me. She kept doing it. Really? Yeah. Throughout the entire phone call. I, at this point, turned to Twitter because I'm in my car with my phone. So what else am I going to do? Let me just cause, <laughs> let me just cause, Release the hounds. Let, let me just cause a little bit of a shit storm. I get to the hospital within a half an hour of that, walk into the room to the credit of the hospital. 
five people came walking in after me and I could still see my mother sitting in the bed looking at me and she's got the what the fuck did you do, Amory?" look on her <laughs> face. <laughs> and I just looked over and started laughing. I'm like, one second, mom, I'll tell you exactly what happened in a minute. But let me just talk to them first. And they wanted to know what happened. They wanted to know how can we make it better? I was clear with them. I'm like, look, just because I know how to make noise and maybe you looked and saw like that I, I Don't have. fuck with Emory Mercurio. No, no, no. I think it had more to do with the fact that, you know, if they look at who's following you on Twitter, maybe right. they're like, well, you know, there's some people here that are a lot of blue checkmark names yeah. or whatever. And that's not to give me street cred, but my point with them was it's not only for my mom. You need to be doing it for everyone. Mm -hmm. She's a person. I'm a person. This is a stressful time for everyone. You know, we're human beings first. And they heard me so much so that after she passed away, I wrote a letter to the hospital outlining all the wonderful things. And even through some of these little hiccups in there, the CEO of the hospital system called me within a day or two of receiving the letter and thanked me for writing the letter to him. So people are hearing. I think it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that we're not just constantly, like in my case, being a bitch and demanding things. but Professional but, pain in the ass. Yeah, but also making sure that whoever's on the other side understands that you appreciate that you did A, B, C, D, and E, but you know what? It would have been exponentially more powerful had you gone just one little step further and it would have changed the whole experience. And I think that people are listening. It's just it's taking much longer. And in the circumstances we're in now, it's just we're in an impossible situation. The strategic cockeyed pessimist in me agrees that leaning in with gratitude first and then becoming an asshole yeah. really works. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. So has that hospital system fully changed the way they think about communications I don't know because my mom passed away in October of 2020. I mean, we were at a lull in COVID. Then it kicked back up again. But uh, I'm going to send you on a fact-finding mission. Okay. And you'll come back so on the show I, in a couple of months and give me good news or bad news. From what I've seen, they were accommodating to a fault at certain points. But again, that was after my Twitter rant. So I don't yeah. know how much of it was... You Public know, shaming and customer yeah, reputation. Yeah. But you know what? If that's what it takes to do one small thing, yeah. then that's what it takes. Anne-Marie Mercurio live here in the studio. God, you have a million credentials. I'll just say you're a no BS advocate warrior. That works. And your Twitter handle is Chemo Brain Fog. I want to have you back again because you're local because we could have a whole conversation of what it was like to grow up post-cancer when they said there's no such thing as chemo brain. That works. So at Chemo Brain Fog on Twitter and chemobrainfog.com, Anne-Marie Mercurio, thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun and it was a pleasure to be out of my house for a change. Yeah, say fuck one more time. Fuck. Later, folks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patience is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. 
It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.